0: Welcome to the Association Strong Podcast, where we offer insight from both a seasoned association exec and an entrepreneur. I'm Dave Will. And I'm Tom Morrison, listening as
1: we discuss and debate hot topics in the association community. Don't forget to subscribe and share us with
0: your friends. Tommy Bahami, we're back again.
1: Yes, Dave, that people cannot see it, but I have my coffee bright, hot, and sunshiny down here in the snowy weather of Nashville, Tennessee, and I'm so excited to be here to talk about today. I it off awesome my day. coffee
2: Tom
0: and I'm wondering if our guest G has his coffee G you got some coffee with you I
2: already had it It was a double espresso you know it's fast and sweet and uh, I'm on water now
0: let me introduce G so so <laughs> Guillermo Ortiz de Zarate is from NCARB and NCARB is the National Council of Architectural Registration Boards and the reason Tom and I asked you to join us G is because we have this Um, series in the association strong one theme of topics that we talk about here is is uh, trying to find organizations that have found an innovative approach to uh, revenue or, you know, very similarly value creation and uh, so NCARB and by the way, your title over there is chief innovation and information officer. Uh NCARB has done a really, really cool thing in creating a um uh, a, a software platform called Lineup. And so we're gonna get into that a little bit and the origins and the outcome uh of lineup. Sound good? Yeah. Let's do All it. All right. So so gee, first Tom, you're down in uh you're down in the DC area, correct? Yeah. I say down DC. because I'm up in Boston. Tom would say yeah. up because he's down in Nashville.
1: <laughs> For, I would just say I would say
0: uh, upright. I'm right. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to say, you're down left, right? You're, so you're down uh, left down, a little. I'm in down DET. Yes. Uh, so, so gee uh, tell us, let's start with, with NCARB because it's, yes. a, it, it, in my experience, you are, we've known each other for three or four years. Uh, I, I've been working with NCARB for a little while. Uh, and it's an extremely unique organization. It's not a typical member-based or per, even a, a, a trade association. Can you describe what NCARB is and, and what you do?
2: Yeah, um, so the National Council- of I told Arch- you
0: there'd be no hard questions, although I would argue <laughs> this is a hard question.
2: <laughs> well, I've been at NCARB, uh going on almost 15 years. On April, it's gonna be 15 years. I've been having to do this, you know, uh, elevated page map. Where do you work again? Uh, and it's as hard as my name explaining my name to people. So I'm gonna um, try to try to do it fast. Uh, NCARB is quite different than membership organizations. We are actually a federation of registration boards of architects, and what that means is uh, the states through the constitution have the ability to regulate business within their borders, and they regulate who gets to practice architecture by issuing a license. Now, the way they do that um, is they wanna make sure that the people that get the license are competent. uh, And we we like to say minimally competent, it's not about excellence, it's about like just an entry level uh, to make sure that people are safe and the way they do that is they they have That's to so funny.
0: That phrase, by the way, minimally con- competent. We are here to ensure your people are at least minimally competent. Uh,
2: yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> we it, are not here
0: for excellence. We are here for the the lowest possible bar of <laughs> Yeah, that Yeah, yeah. But, but, and, but in,
1: that, in that in that minimalist, there's excellence on
0: that level. It, 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 ensuring that there's no incompetence, right? That's right. what we're doing. Right. We're ensuring right. that it, it's, it's just fascinating because everybody usually leans towards the, the the striving for excellence, but you're just embracing this. No, we're just avoiding incompetence.
2: And, and it's a, such a hard, I mean, it seems funny uh, when you say it like that, but, but <laughs> it, it, really, it really takes a lot of effort to change your mindset when you're uh, discussing business and and strategy because naturally humans we try to go for excellence and what what you don't want to do is be an exclusive club where uh, actually you're creating unnecessary barriers for people to practice Mm -hmm. Um, so you know it, it is something that that it takes a lot of effort to make sure that we are being fair and that we're measuring the right thing. So, you know, you're going to hear me a lot to talk a lot about data um, because that's, you know, much of the influence that I brought to that organization. Uh, But just to finish what NCARB is and how it functions, we are the federation of 55 registration boards, 50 states and five territories. Um, And what we do for them is we do all of the heavy lifting to make sure that they... They actually know who's competent or not. So we do all of the work uh, for all of the candidates for licensure, and then we give them the packet. It's kind of like an underwriting of of their the uh, candidates for licensure, and then they, you know, give, give provide the license. Uh, so Ncarb. Uh, Our members are the actual member boards, the the actual uh, state uh, agencies. These are state agencies. Uh, The governors appoint the board members uh, for, for those boards. They're usually architects, but many of these boards are multidisciplinary. So you might have a board that is not just the architect's board, but they're engineers and landscape architects and interior designers. And sometimes they even have Professions that are not related to the built environment. Um, so, you might have a mix of board members that are um, engineers and, and other professions. And and many boards also have a mandate to have a public member who is, you know, just none of those professions and it's just there. Uh, so, those members are appointed by the governors of each state. And they, in their t- entirety, make the NCAR membership, which is about 400. 450 people, and they are, you know, in a way, the governance structure for NCAR. They vote, they elect the 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 officials, the the officers for the board of directors and whatnot. Our income structure. I mean, they pay uh, each state, each jurisdiction pays a member member dues, but it's like I think less than our five percent of our budget. Our money comes from the transactions that the licensure candidates do. And then when they become an architect, we have a certification program that allows them to move their license around the country uh, in an easy way. So you you might know that, for instance, lawyers usually need to take the bar exam every time they wanna go to a different jurisdiction. With NCAR and, and an NCAR certificate, you take you do all of these requirements once and then you just it's easy to move the you, we send the packet to a new jurisdiction and in 10 days you get a license and you're practicing. Um, so a lot of our money comes from the 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 dues that people pay. The it's we don't call it membership because the members are the board members, but we call to maintain it maintain their licensure to maintain their candidacy and use our systems to actually prove their competence and then to keep that certification so they can move around the country. Um, All of which they're
0: required to do, correct?
2: Well, so.
0: If they want to be an architect, they need their licensure.
2: It depends. It depends by state because they regulate how the practice act works. So um, there are some states that have, you know, like a, Three-story, an app commercial building. You need an architect. Um, residential. You don't need an architect. Um, and 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 multi You need an architect and things like that. So it depends on what kind of project you're doing, and ultimately, what it gives you the permission is to use a seal and to sign the the project and the documents and be, you know, uh, accountable for for the 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 result. Um, Definitely, all of the licensure candidates are working in the profession. They're making their work, their um, towards uh, getting that license. Uh, so there is definitely work in the architecture profession that that happens that is not by licensed professionals, but the ultimate seal of approval comes from an architect usually. So, so did you, so did you
1: say is, you did you say you are in fifteen or fifty states? 50, 50, 50, 50
2: all states and uh, five so 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 we have 55 member boards,
1: right? And so how many so how many are on your actual board of directors,
2: all of them? We have no, we have uh, 14 uh, people in the board. We have uh, six regional directors. There are six six regions at NCARP. We have uh, the executive committee, which is treasurer, secretary, uh, second VP, first VP and, and president and past president. And then we have one public member and we have a member of the executive, one of the executive directors of the 55 jurisdictions. Um, So there's state government employees running these these, uh, organizations and we have a seat for one of them to be on the board. How long are your terms? Uh, Three, um, it's three years for regional directors. Once you make it to the executive committee um, you can go the the, the whole nine yards to presidency and past presidency.
1: Right. Do you have an option to serve any other terms, or is it just three years and you're out? That's it. You're out. One year and term. You're talking
0: the about the board. Right. I'm talking about the board. okay?
1: Because, you know, we just had a little apple bomb two weeks ago on governance and, you know, governance plays a massive role because if the board's not into it, you don't go anywhere. So I was just trying to get a good understanding for our listeners. What's your governance model? So I'd like to start there, Dave, just to have G kind of walk through. I mean, do you find that three-year terms, that fast turnover plays into your advantage or against your advantage of really engaging in this disruptive market, trying to get to new technologies and new benefit values?
0: I think that can, can I, if we could actually I have a question related to benefit values before we go there, Tom, I I think in, in thinking about your question and what I want to get to, I think it might make sense to use my question as a jumping stone. So let me, let me ask this, is there any competition G for like, if I'm a, if I'm an architect and I want my license, like I've got to go to you guys to get my license. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, we so the competition is practicing without a license is choosing not which to, which is it. not an option. I mean, it's it, it, jail It time. is an, it actually is an option. There's a lot of people that choose not to get the license. Uh, we we I am okay. actually part of what, one of the committees at NCARB, uh, as a full practicing member of the committee, which is called the Futures Committee. And what we do is just look at what what's going to be architecture in the next fifty years, and is our regulatory model going to be appropriate for for that um, and in looking at that we're seeing that there's a lot of uh young up-and-coming people practicing in the profession that are mixing technology and architecture and they're getting the pleasure of contributing to the built environment and they have no intention of getting a license so we are seeing a disruption in the in the near future coming our way um, and definitely there's a lot of people that have made a living in the built environment that studied architecture, that have a degree in architecture, but never got the license and, and, and they're fine. But yes, um, there is no other way for you to get a license in the United States to practice architecture unless you go through NCARP.
0: And the reason I was asking is because without competition, there's not a lot of motivation to be innovative and to provide good service. I mean, hence the complaints about the government doing stuff for us, you know, and I mean, the government's an absolute necessity, right? Most would argue and. It, but the problem is when the government owns something there's no competition and the service level goes down and it becomes very expensive and blah 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 so the the, the question is like what then is triggering NCARB to actually be innovative and triggering NCARB to provide an excellent um, level of service to your constituents and your constituents are not the boards as much as they are the architects Taking the exam to get their license, and how many of those? There's tens of thousands of those, right?
2: Oh yeah, we hundreds. Uh, yeah, we have um, right now uh, sixty thousand licensure candidates in in the process. Um, in the process, right? Yeah, f- about forty thousand of them are actively working through the the path. Uh, we have currently forty eight thousand certificate holders. When I started in in 2007, we had 37,000 certificate holders. So we've grown a lot in the past. And um, we used to have a pretty bad retention rate, uh, a lot of attrition in the past to licensure. I think that we've fixed that by changing the level of service and navigating that line between regulators and making sure that, that we're properly measuring competence in a fair way but at the same time we're not an obstacle for you and your on what you the the the, the work you want to do and the and the profession you love and we are motivated to actually becoming a facilitator for you rather than we're here to to block your way of life and I, and you're right I think it takes um uh you know, intentional strategic plan to, to go that route because it's really very easy to fall back to your monopoly status and and not, and not change. For me in 2007, uh, I came to the States in 1999 from Argentina, uh, a company relocated me for, um, I was running the technology department for a branch of a company headquartered in Washington DC and they relocated me here. So I went, I was with them for about six years and even though I was sponsored, brought here in, in, with a competitive package and, and, you know, treated very well, it took me about six years to go through the immigration process. And it was really, really a bad experience for me. And I think yeah. that it was a bad experience because uh, it's, the system is overwhelmed and, you know, you know, you get to a point where you feel like you, you're just a number and people don't understand that by every decision they make, there's a family behind it. Suffering, where whether you're gonna get what you need or not, even if you're doing everything right. And when I got the opportunity at NCARB and I researched NCARB, everybody hated NCARB. They hated it with all their guts. And I could see the re- I could see a line of analogy between what I've gone through with the immigration process and what some of these licensure candidates were going through with NCARP, Which is like, I just want to be an architect. Why are you being why are you blocking me? Why are you doing this to me? What, if you're going to do this, why aren't you uh, um, a high-performing organization? Um, so that's what I went to NCAR to do is just to try to transform it. Uh, that's to become, awesome.
0: What a great story, origin story there for you and NCARB. How, how old is NCARB? How long has NCARB been around?
2: 101. Oh, my uh, God! Sorry. They, we turned 100 in 2019, so 102.
0: Okay. And, and so, Tom, can you repeat your question? Oh, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I thought it was relevant to get to the yeah. monopoly question before we get into the innovation question.
1: Right. Well, you know, just, you know, mo- the number one thing that stands in front of an organization creating higher value and innovative value, especially that entails technology advances, is the board. You know, and you got people that, you know, have, some associations have board members that have been on there for 10 years. So they have no term limits and they love it, but they, they stand in the way of change, not in for it. And others have you know, two-year terms where that's one and done, so there's so much turnover that the board's not really engaged in the conversation because by the time they figure out where the bathroom is in the building, they're gone. So, how do you, do you, so yours is three years, one and done. I just was wondering, how do you feel that has played into your favor or to not your favor in the governance of having change like this happen in your organization?
2: I actually think even though the regional directors have three year term, they usually run for office for, for the executive committee within those three years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they, they, go, they go from secretary to treasurer to second BB to first BB to then president. So five years to become president, plus the two or three that were already on the board, that say, then right. they stay one more year as president. So you do have a lot of currently um, um, leadership uh, continuity, if you wish, because they've been right. part of the conversation for at least seven to eight years. Um, on the other side, you might argue that 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 becomes a little bit of a barrier for new new people that wants to come to the board and and make and make a difference. Uh, so Enker is currently, you know, trying to understand if that model is 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 still valid or not, um, and that that's going to take a while. But uh, for us, it, it I think that I'm I'm want to give. Uh, kudos to our CEO, Mark Michael Armstrong, who's been my mentor, too. And I, and I think he's done an amazing job in communicating with, with boards. Um, it does change a lot for him. Uh, maybe not so much for me, but, you know, having a different president every year. Uh, he does an amazing job in preparing and putting the hours needed to, to get that continuity of leadership Right. Uh, so we have we have things like he does. Um, he usually brings the, the the incoming VP and the second VP and the current president to um, you know an offsite to to do some some work together and and align the interest and in where they want it, where they want to go, and then we do a lot of communicating um, what what NCARB staff does um, constantly, constantly that telling them, these are the things that we plan to do. These are the things that we did. These are the results. Uh, so the, it, I think it creates uh, a great trust, trustworthy relationship with people. Um, right. that there's transparency. And, um, and that has contributed to then the, the boards, even with the new people coming on you know, giving us a second to explain the rationale of what we're trying to do and then giving us a chance to, to, to try things.
1: Well, you know, I, in 2009, we pretty much did the same thing. So um, I was getting a little bit unnerved of peop- some people on the board thinking that um, they didn't have good enough connection into what was going on at the staff level. So I began to have calls with the president and incoming chair, because what I want to do is prevent the rogue chair. Everybody potentially has the opportunity for a rogue president to come in and run right or left when they're supposed to be going down the center with the strategic plan. And so I began to do a we, a monthly call for one hour, and we would go over whatever it is that I felt was important with and needed their strategic um, thought process in it. And then all of a sudden, we brought the immediate past chair into it. So he they're in it. And we decided to just do the treasure. So we do the, executive, the full executive committee. Since 2010, we've been doing that call every Wednesday, every first Wednesday of the month. And it's been awesome because it now doesn't look like any, any initiative is a staff-driven thing. It's an executive committee thing. And what I love about the process is one of our uh, board members said it very eloquently when we were looking at two-year presidential terms at some point, um, he said, wait a minute, don't y'all meet every single month for an hour? And I'm like, yeah, he says, well, he told the board, he says, well, really, everybody on that executive committee is president for four years. They just get to hold the gavel for one. Yeah. And, it really, and, it, and it really, like you said, it's built continuity in the process of leadership it's given the regular board members confidence that the that the um, leadership is involved in a lot of the different strategic aspects of making sure our plan and finances go in a certain direction. um So I think that that's a great pathway as you're doing it to make sure that you got some continuity there.
2: Yeah, for sure. All kudos to Mike. Uh, he's you know uh, the board whisperer. I call him. Uh, he there's never in a, I mean there's never too much communication, um, and that has worked in our favor. He also has made it very, very clear that that, uh, the board has an employee of one in him and then then we all report to Mike. So he also helps avoid um, you know, just just board members going straight to to people and trying to to push things that I haven't seen that happen. Wait since a minute Mike.
1: that 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 happens in your in association. No, not
2: anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it hasn't <laughs> happened since Mike is is, is the CEO. So uh,
1: everybody listening in would say, yeah, I have that going on in my
0: association. <laughs> so yeah,
2: so listen, yeah. I be, think be, it be, starts with communication. Yeah, go ahead. Dave. Before
0: we get too far along here. I think a big part of this conversation that I was hoping to have was around this, this thing you created called LineUp, and you are the president of this software company called LineUp. If I remember correctly, a few years ago when we spoke about this, LineUp was a project management system, but now it looks like LineUp is, has shifted the uh, your focus a little bit more towards volunteer management. Can you, first of all, I, so I want you to, of course, clarify what lineup is all about who your customers are but i'm really interested in the origins of lineup and its relationship to the association and and what what the goal is from a, a revenue perspective
2: yeah um so it, it 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 was born as a volunteer management not, not project management and it came from um, well, the, the digital transformation that we did at NCARP first focused on how to, how to provide, how do, how do we uh, evaluate competency with excellence by really uh, making sure that everybody had the right information at the right time and the information was you know, reliable, um, uh, integral, and secure. Uh, so we put a lot of effort in making sure that from cradle to the grave when we're talking about someone and trying to underwrite someone we have the data is pristine uh, and if you think about it well the NCARB in providing the value we provide to the member boards we are nothing but an information management company right that's that's what we do we like we are we are telling you you can trust us this person is competent to practice architect, architecture go ahead give them a license the the public in your jurisdiction, they're going to be fine. Um, So we did a lot of work around what you would call, um, you know, the core products, the core needs of how do we measure that competence. Um, And then we were really on a roll and and I was like, okay, what are other areas of the organization that haven't experienced a digital transformation um, that are still in the analog world? And let me see if I can bring value there. Um, and we analyzed a little bit of the um, committees, committee and volunteering work. And and NCARB is heavily com- uh, volunteer-driven. Uh, we have 25 to 30 committees every year. Um, and what was happening, uh, a couple of things. We were having the same highly engaged, everybody knows them, volunteers, you know, the same 30 people that everybody loved. <clears throat> um, but we needed 250 <laughs> volunteers per year or 400 in some cases. Um, the other thing that the process of appointing these these volunteers to the committees was extremely painful for everybody involved, from the the staff working through the process to the presidents electing their, their volunteers for their year. So we decided to so let, let's see what can we do here to help carb with this, with this thing. And we did, we took an approach of um, out of design thinking, and we really brought in the actual people that were in the process. We, we brought in the staff that had to do the elections and, and the drafting of the potential committees. We brought in the elected officials that were actually uh, having the initiatives that they wanted their, these committees to work on, we brought in the actual volunteers that had to experience the whole work. We brought everybody in to try to design and understand what were the needs. You know, where are the pain points? What what are the um, what? Where do we need to create value? And we designed an internal tool that uh, at the at the time uh, the the name uh, of the tool was Draft. Um, because we were inspired by the NFL draft or fantasy football and, and thinking about you know all of these committee staff liaisons, they all need their quarterbacks and their running backs and their you know uh, wide receivers. Uh, but at the end of the day, there's only two quarterbacks that everybody likes in, in the volunteer pool. So how do we actually increase this talent pool of, of volunteers? And how do we give the people forming these teams the information they need, so that they actually create the best team they can, um, so that the outcome of the team is maximized. Um, and it was, oh, Dave, I, I, I don't want. It, it was an amazing achievement. Uh, that that system really changed the way NCAR was thinking about volunteers, the way we were thinking about talent. It really changed the mindset. It 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 broke down the silos of of these. Some of these committees were really like, well, that's my committee and you don't know anything about this. <clears throat> so these are my volunteers. And it actually opened up like everybody, we're a company working together. We all want to have, it's not like, I used to use the example of the, 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 the Golden Warriors uh, when they broke the NBA, <laughs> they had the super team and, and it was impossible to compete. Uh, we don't want one super team and then mediocre teams. We wanted like all committees to be the best they could. Um, and we used that software for about four years and change, and I was doing my MBA, I was on my last semester of my MBA, and I, I had this feeling in the back of my uh, head that there was some commercial viability for this, that we were not the only organization that needed to maximize talent from a team perspective. Um, so I used this idea in, in the last three or four classes of my MBA. I brought this as a project to find some of those. And what I came out of that is um, the basis of a pitch uh, to actually make this a commercial tool. So I went to my CEO and I, I, I showed him what I had. He was very intrigued. So he brought me to an executive committee meeting an a special uh, committee meeting where I, I showed what I had. Then they brought me to the board. And then I think two board meetings later, they approved funding for me. Because what I was saying is like, we the tool, the way we have it, I think has value for any organization, but it's so embedded in our domain that it's not feasible right now to to share it or to welcome other people to use this tool. So I need to write it again. But now I I need money to write it again and to actually do a little bit more design thinking type of research about what is it, what's the global need for for talent management here uh, so that's what we did we got um pretty good funding um in the first year we did, did the funding come
0: from outside of ncarb or was it funded solely by ncarb
2: solely by ncarb it just came they wrote me a check from their um investment uh fund and do you mind um,
0: me asking is can you share the, what was the startup um, the the first it, seed
2: yeah. was the first seed was two million, um, which I didn't really touch for the first year almost uh, because mm-hmm. I was just doing research and um, getting out of the office and and showing. I was using the current version of NCARB tool to actually as an MVP to put it in front of people and see what kind of traction. And it all you know it all took off when one day I'm at this conference and it's for certification organizations they're talking about test uh, assembly and how to create tests and certification tests and whatnot i'm there and suddenly it hit me that all of these organizations use subject matter experts to create these exams nobody creates the exam in the back of the office they're like they're using volunteers so i'm just getting coffee next to a guy and asking him like so so how do you how do you manage your subject matter experts and the, he rolls his eyes, throws his head back, and he's like, oh my God, it's such a pain.
0: Massive problem, pain. yeah.
2: Interesting. So I, I asked the same question to three or four more people at that conference. Everybody had the same reaction. So the next thing we did is we uh, created the name lineup. We created T-shirts and three fake business cards. And we got on a plane and we went to the Institute of Credential Excellence. Um, no, sorry. We went to the Association of Test Publishers Conference. No booth, anything, no product. We actually had a very embarrassing first version of the new brand uh, product, but it was crap. It didn't work for anything.
0: Well, that's what the, um, the founder of uh, LinkedIn, what's his name? Do you, do you know? I, the, um, this is uh, the tip of my tongue. I, I'll, I'll look it I'm up. I'm really check. bad with names. That's okay. But the founder of LinkedIn, big, big name entrepreneur, right? His comment about software, he says, if you're not embarrassed with your first version of the software, then you waited too long. Exactly. And that supports this iterative process of put something out there, get some feedback, put it out there a little bit better, get some more feedback, so that you don't waste all this time and money creating something that nobody wants, right? So yeah, exactly. So I like and, to hear your approach of creating this embarrassingly simple start to lineup. Yeah, well, yeah, we, keep, we keep going.
2: Yeah, we didn't want to spend the money. I mean, the one thing I was very aware of, I was, you know, very influenced by the Lean Startup book and and design thinking and all of these iterative approaches. We are already an agile organization, so I didn't want to say like, okay, I got the money, we're going to build it, and not talk to anyone. I needed to make sure that my assumptions were validated, and I was just burning money and throwing it away. It
0: was Reed, uh, Reed Hoffman, by the way. That said that Reed Hoffman. Okay,
2: yeah. um, so. You know the, the first iteration was we were just getting the basics, uh, kind of like almost reskinning a little bit of what we had already. But even though it wasn't it wasn't what we needed to do, we needed to really build it from the from the ground up. So we went to this conference, and what we found were two types of people. We found uh, organizations that were creating exams that were using subject matter experts and had no tool. To help them with that, they were using, the, the, everybody was telling us they were using Excel or some, you know, half assed, homegrown, you know, Visual Basic thing. I don't know, it, it was bad. And then the other people that we found were the vendors in the exhibit hall that were serving this community that had no intention and nothing to do with subject matter expert management. That their reaction was like, Oh, yeah, all of my clients need that. They uh, they continually ask me to, and I don't want to do it, so maybe we should partner. So I came back from that uh experience thinking, like, well, definitely there's a nice product fit segment of the market here in, in this certification world. So we came back. You found you found a gap in the market, which is
0: really hard to do, to find a gap, So a missing. Avoid where there's a need. That's really, really hard to do.
1: Well, I was going to say that that is the consummate issue with associations getting involved in a high-level non-association kind of innovation that serves the gap. Because when you all of a sudden do that, the question is: Is okay? Are we going to be in competition with any of our suppliers who are looking to who would, who would do something like that? So it's a good yeah, question. You, you yeah. kind of you kind of fell into a sweet spot of an incredible need for the member. But all the associates were going, yeah, we don't want to do that. Somebody needs to partner with us on that. Boom, you slide right in with a product. That's like a slam dunk.
2: Well, yeah, it's definitely not a slam dunk. <laughs> not yeah. of,
0: I mean, we're
2: not out of the woods Startups yet. Startups are but. easy, man.
0: <laughs> so, so, but, and the other thing, though, is, is um, that I want to say, because I think this is important for anyone, any association listening to this. Just because there is competition out there does not mean there's not an opportunity. Right. you did find two other vendors that do subject matter expert or volunteer management, it doesn't mean they're doing it well, marketing it well. It doesn't mean there's not an opportunity for NCARB to come in with lineup and do it better. But right. well, you
2: know, there are, there are volunteer management systems. There are plenty of them. They just have a different approach, right? They just do um, kind of like come in here, sign up and uh, track your hours and we'll give you a certificate of hours of you volunteer. And that, that was not what we were doing. But I want to stress something. Um, in the story I was telling you, it was never about the technology. If, if you remember how I started this, it was all about what do they need what is you know so we brought so when we solved the problem for ncarp it wasn't that i had this new technology that i wanted to use and i was looking for a place to implement it 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 was like what do you guys need if if it wasn't technology we would have done something different gee you Uh, fell
0: in love with the problem not the solution like it's so easy to create this great technology and not really know what problem you're solving I, i i'm a little guilty of that myself but it, and, and therefore you fall in love with the solution to and then you try to figure out, well, what problems can this solution solve? You went the other way, which is actually would argue the correct approach to creating to innovating, which is fall in love with a problem and then figure out what's the solution.
2: Yeah. And if there's anything I would I would hope the listeners take away is that is that is is don't don't stay inside the conference room, try to understand the needs of. Your stakeholders, whatever they are—members or 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 customers—and you know y- you have to do with some deep listening there because they're not telling you what they're telling you, right? There's always some hidden need that is not articulated. They're, you're not going to go to someone; they're going to tell us build us this or give us this feature, and then we'll be a member. Um, that's not how it works. So it takes time, and. On, on the other hand, we were not, like, we didn't solve that problem thinking about it commercially from the beginning. We were not like, what can we do to, uh, you know, create a new revenue stream for NCAR? That that wasn't how it was born. It was born to solve a problem that was mission-related. But um, well, there's, then there's not there- a heck,
0: gee, there's not a lot of it, it, this. I'm in, in, inserting my opinion here that there's not a, and I've said this over and over and over again in this podcast and in others, I don't see a major difference between finding a new revenue stream and creating a new source of value. Revenue comes from value creation. If you create value, revenue is easy to associate with it. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Looking for money. And so therefore we create something, but no, if you, if you look at it from the approach of saying, let's create some value by solving a problem revenue will follow.
2: Yeah, and and sometimes for associations, it's not even that easy because they might find the value and then they have this um, natural inclination to include it in the membership or whatever it's like, let's add the value of the membership. Um, But I like to look at it, um, and this is from the Lean Innovation Methods, of looking at it from the three aspects of, is this new idea that you have desirable? Can you validate that assumption that people want this, that they need this? is it feasible can this organization do it do we have the organizational maturity do we have the the assets the resources the staff to actually get this done and then is it viable and that viability uh, who's going to pay for this is it going to be the members is it going to be another project that we're not going to do because we're going to transfer those budgets to that budget to this one that thinking sometimes is uh, harder for associations to 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 have it ready, right? So people think about many times about output and and what we like put your head down and and get the thing done, but uh, you have to think about outcome and how can you how can you monetize uh, and and yeah sometimes it becomes a, a new revenue source, but how can you monetize it in a way that is at least self-sustainable and that you're not cannibalizing another source of of um resources for another initiative that you might have
1: but a lesson learned dave as you say that a lesson learned for associations listening to take part in is that when you build a great revenue stream you'll tend to ride just like business you'll tend to ride that wave and stop really innovating because it's it's really raising the bar in terms of the revenues you have and you need to keep innovating and I'm, I'm you know for me i'm m- going after the money is what can drive associations because they see it they see revenues all of a sudden go like this and they're like you know we need to find that next source so but they can't they shouldn't go into that looking for the source they should look in it to reevaluate the pain the, the high pain points to then say what's the next thing that members really need is which is where g and then we're very successful now, g i'm interested in your futures committee yeah uh, of how that operates and, and what do they drive um because see that's what i think every association we got a next gen committee that does that's what they're doing. Every year, they're looking at what do we need to be looking at three to five years down the road and implementing, and they report back to the board, just things that they understand and hear. So what is your, how does your committee really drive innovation in y'all's group?
2: Uh, it's um, a volunteer committee uh, set up by through LineUp, using LineUp. Um, and we look for uh, people from outside the industry and inside the industry. So we have architects and some other different people that have uh, some specialologies. So we've had um, artificial intelligence professors from universities and whatnot being part of that. And what we're mostly doing is trying to scan the new trends that we're seeing in the industry and the way the industry approaches the built environment that is different from the norm. Um, and we're trying to imagine 50 years from now, not three or five. Um, and because we know that uh, for NCAR and the regulatory process, it takes about 10 years to change a program be- from from scanning, you know, um, what is what is the um, usually the, the term in the industry is job task analysis or a practice analysis, where you're trying to understand what are what does what does it mean to be competent? What are the knowledge, skills, and abilities that someone competent shows? Um, and then try to assess competency by those. And it takes about 10 years to understand what those are and then create a new program and replace the previous right. one. So if the change is coming fast, um, by the time you change those things, you're not longer relevant. And then then definitely comp- the competition is practiced without a license because people choose other professions, you know? Right. Um, you can com- computer science is a competitor for NCAR because... You know the the young bright minds that are choosing their education um right now they're they're choosing among many different fields and you you might as well go to computer science um and and end up working in the built environment in different capacity and and having a little bit of both worlds um and you don't need a license to do that so we're we're trying to investigate how real are those trends and what do we need to bring back to the board of directors to then maybe stand up other committees uh, to do a little bit more the research and, and see if we have some actions to do. So I awesome.
0: uh, th- I wanna be respectful to your time, but I also really wanna get into the traction of lineup, meaning the progress you've made. So you're what, four years into this?
2: <clears throat> four years Five. into it,
0: yeah. Okay, so, so, and, and uh, I, I know this is the long game. There's no such thing as a, i don't want to say there's no there are some overnight startup successes but they're very very unusual so startups are a long game right and and uh, have you found success in terms of making this a revenue stream for ncarb yet or are you still in the investment stage where you're putting money into it trying to build
2: we're putting money into it uh, but we're now growing fast um the we had some momentum right before COVID. COVID really hit us because um, in a way, it, I think it does require either a, an organization who has a lot of their eggs in the certification exam basket, and they really, the livelihood of them is their exam, or you need a very mature organization that really wants to really look at the way they do volunteers and the way they manage talent differently. And if they have bigger problems that they're trying to deal with, we're usually a second thought they're like, you know, I'm not, I'm not ready to, to transform my volunteer program because I don't even, I, I'm, I have leaks everywhere here. So I need to, I need to fix my organization. So when COVID happened, we did get a little bit of a hit for a couple of quarters. Um, but um, since September, 2020, we've been growing now pretty fast. So um we are on a good trajectory to to make the goals that we have forecasted, and we have very very interesting clients because we not only have clients from the association world that that create exams, we also have for profit organizations that are uh, our clients. We have uh, Adobe, for instance, is one that I can say they, they don't they don't mind if I say their name out loud They are using us for their certification. Um, we have a fortune three company uh technology company you can try to find out you can try to figure out who they are so
0: it's like google are, amazon
2: or not, i can't or, i can't say the name but they um, they're okay. using us for for their exams. so if you think about it right so we started with an association trying to solve our own problem uh using design thinking type of stuff to to understand the need and then having a fortune three company kind of like subscribing to our tool uh which is kind of like insane so that doesn't say we've succeeded but it does validate the assumption that that we found a problem for a re- a need that is real and that people are willing to pay for um and you know we've been growing the platform too to now try to conquer different industries and and we have um definitely there's there's an opportunity for the i programs to use Lineup to try to measure um, internal, you know, even employee engagement in the sense of when you're creating initiative teams, um, how you how are you creating these teams, uh, these cross departmental teams, how are you giving people opportunities and stuff like that. Um, we um, we um, have a, a for profit client, big, very big client, who is using Lineup. To do um, thought leadership marketing. (laughs) So they're using us to find the subject matter experts that they need. So they're looking, you know, they have this huge database of speakers, uh, writers, bloggers, uh, educators, uh, teachers, whatnot. And they're like out there creating content uh, that actually becomes their marketing strategy. So the, we have people finding new uses for Lineup that we didn't design in the beginning. And it's all about, because what Lineup gives you is like, so this is your talent pool of people. These are all the skills and abilities and things that you can measure on them how do you want to put them together to accomplish what thing and then the sky's the limit right you can just design and curate these teams as you want so
0: and they, they, how many
2: people on your team right now 10.
0: and your your role is president is there a ceo of lineup
2: mike armstrong the ceo of curve is the ceo of lineup um okay. i'm i'm running the 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 show as a, as a president and uh
0: you kind of like the operations guy
2: the visionary yeah
0: so one, one other question about this, Tom, before, and then it's all yours. Uh, uh, in terms of um, ownership, is NCARB 100% owner in this?
2: 100% owner, it, it's an LLC um, that is the only member is NCARB right now, so.
1: Okay, thank you. Tom. So as we make the turn towards uh, doing our last question, I want I want to ask you, so anybody listening in and going, you know what, what can I take away from this over and above what the experience that I've heard is if there were three things that you were going to tell anybody listening that you three best practices or lessons learned that you have in this whole process, the last four years, what are those three things you would say either do or not do?
2: Um, yeah, that's a good question. Three things. Well, the, the one thing that we did was, um, really check our egos at the door (laughs) to begin Mm -hmm. with. Um, we really knew what we didn't know. Um, so we were very transparent from the very beginning that this was an idea that was unvalidated and that even though we wanted money, we wanted to take our time to validate the assumptions that we had before we, we actually built anything. And we were, um, creating a very short cycle of understanding what we needed to build and then building it and putting it out there and, and really releasing it early. And in, as Dave said, in an embarrassing way, so you, you don't wait for perfect. Right. Um, Right. The second thing that I would say is um, I I think you need to already be somewhat of an agile organization. And I, I I mean, if you can implement agile, like, like the formal agile, good. If you cannot do that, at least try to implement some of the principles around empowering the teams, letting the subject matter experts in within your organization um, decide what they can do and how they can do it, uh, and drive, drive vision. Um, I think it's very hard to create something new and innovative by telling people what, what to do. Um, I, I don't think it's conducive to that. So it's a little bit of a cultural thing that I think needs to happen. And if not possible to do in the entire organization at least one pocket of the organization can can try to be um this type of agile organization right Uh, and then celebrate failures i mean (laughs) there were a lot of things that we did that um did not turn out as we thought they would and instead of hiding it or, or telling the story um in a way that makes it sound like a success we we just we just owned it, you know. Um, so I tell you one failure that we did, and maybe um, to to own it myself. So at one point during the growth, we put a lot of effort in automating the the self provisioning um, of of lineup and the hmm. um, the 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 purchase process to actually make it like, hey, you land on our website, you read a little bit, of what what you see. And you want to start, click here, we provision the thing, and then a day later, you're, you have it. Let me and guess,
0: G, that didn't work.
2: It did not work. Yeah,
0: we all have that dream of saying, come to our website and sign up by yourself and you don't need anybody's help. And it, and it just, unless you're a consumer product man, doesn't yeah, work.
2: that was that was exactly our learning. We're not a B two C. These people don't behave like that. Especially associations. They want to redline the contract. They want to chat about it. They want a proposal. They want to meet. Um, and we wasted time because we we did prioritize some features in the platform that were all about self onboarding and self provisioning. That we could have used those resources for something else, and we could have saved some time. We could have closed more business easier. So, um. I mean, and that's, it's, it's a failure, but, but the success in it was the insight because we were able to pivot away from that and just embrace the, the, at least this current segment, it needs that. And then we embraced it and and that's what we do. So
0: All right. So here we are, Tom, this is the end of the podcast. Gee. So what we typically do here is we want, you know, I asked Tom if for his number one takeaway, I'll give my number one takeaway and I'd like you also to um you know, whether it's a takeaway of something you said or epiphany or realization, or it's just something you want to leave the audience with. What's your, what's your number one thing from this podcast? So Tom, you want to start? Yeah, I can
1: start. So the number one thing for me and listening to G and the combination of you is listen to his, um, don't be scared to jump out there and put your product out there sooner than later and kind of let your constituency help you, um, demo it and, and, and try it and, and, work through the issues that come about in it so that you can get to a product that's building steam. I feel like if you do do that, then they're more apt to use it because they've been a part of the process. And especially cause I I've seen organizations where, and I've been a part of them where when you see an issue in a program, you, you it definitely hits a need, but it's not a perfect program. And then you say, it'd be great if it could do this. And a week later, it does that you're like, man, okay, they're listening to us. So, so it's, I, I love that concept of don't wait till you have the perfect product. I mean, Apple and Microsoft and all the technology companies pretty much mastered that over the last ten years, where they would just throw, throw an iPhone out there, with if seventy percent works, and they'd come back with patches, you know, over the three months afterward to kind of patch things people got pissed off about. So, so I love that how you how, where you kind of focused on that. G, yeah,
0: for me it was um, I. I mean, I I love the concept of of value creation, creating something from nothing, and it it's. Um, and it, it's it, way more difficult than anybody thinks, you know, everybody thinks the idea is the value. Oh, I had Facebook. I had that idea. I I had the idea for streaming video on the internet. I, I had the Netflix idea. Like everybody's got the idea, but to execute is really, really hard. So kudos to you on, on the execution, but the, the, um, uh, my my takeaway here is your impressive execution of identifying a problem before figuring out what the solution is uh, most of us myself included we just go to a cool solution and then we try to find a problem that it solves you went the other way which i think is a really really smart way of of uh, of creating value all right g so thank you Dave.
2: i just want to clarify it's a plural you i it's definitely not me alone i, I know and there i mean people it like i i know keep nobody me does this
0: stuff by themselves
2: yeah um but but my team they're they keep me honest uh because i try i tend to fall in the same uh pitfalls that everybody does <laughs> but the team is empowered to let me know when i'm doing that and so it's been definitely a team a team approach
0: all right, G. What's your what's your number one takeaway for people here? What do you want people to know about today's conversation? What what should people take away? Is the number one thing if they want to mimic what you're doing?
2: Oh, I don't know. Just um, don't don't do what I did. Do what you do. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know. I I think I learned by having uh, kids in college that. Um, it's hard to have empathy because you you might think you're getting you're putting yourself in somebody else's shoes, but you really don't until you experience it. So um, my kids through school, they they changed their mind like as freshmen, then as sophomores, they were different people. And I remember not not agreeing with some of their decisions as freshmen and and then the older ones not agreeing with the decisions of the younger siblings as freshmen. I, I would ask them like, what would this sophomore tell the same person when they were a freshman to make them not to make the decision? And it's like nothing, man. You just have to do it and learn by yourself. So whatever I'm telling you, is just my experience. I think you need to have the courage to try your own. And, and you know, it, it's gonna be different but it's going to be your own and you're going to make mistakes, but you're going to learn a lot. So does that make any sense?
0: Good takeaway. Yeah.
1: I, it doesn't work when your kids come back with their consequence that happened from their decision. You go, you know what? If you would have told me you were thinking about doing that i could have within a hundred percent clarity told you that that was going to happen
2: <laughs> they, nothing they, bad they, but i they, told them <laughs> i told them that was going to happen they tried it and it happened and then they were trying to tell their siblings this is gonna happen they tried it anyway like, okay <laughs> just just have your experience just and then six
0: yeah. to nine months when you're out of jail we can try again right exactly uh, <clears throat> uh, my son is actually heading off to paris today on a semester <clears throat> abroad and uh, he's very nervous, and there's just so much to be learned. And here I am, I'm trying to tell him what to pack and what not to pack, and what to do when he's over there, and you know what he should be researching now. And and it, it, it dawns on me every time I say it, every time I give him advice, he, I can't tell him what to do. He's just got to figure it out on his own. And and it's so hard to watch G. You know, it's like so hard. To watch somebody do something where you, where you want to guide it and shape it, you just can't. So anyway, that was good advice. Go off and do your own thing. Figure out yeah. what the gaps are in your industry and take your own chances. All right. Hey, G, thanks so much for joining yeah, us. Yeah, it's awesome. Hey, hey, if somebody wants to, because your product, LineUp, is a really good fit for volunteer management for associations. In fact, I see you have some associations as clients. How can people reach you to learn more about LineUp? Or where can they go to learn more about LineUp?
2: lineupteams.com um that's the website and um, um you can reach me at guillermo at lineupteams.com too if you want to directly contact me uh guillermo
0: is spelled g-u-i-l-l-e-r-m-o so guillermo at lineupteams.com yes okay perfect all right g thanks so much Appreciate thank you so much
2: Happy, um, um, what is it now? Uh, uh, New uh, Year? Happy <laughs> New Year. January. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Although okay. people
0: might be listening to this in a year from now. So happy New Year, whatever year it is for you people. Right. Okay. All right. <laughs> Thank thanks, you
1: team. Peace Bye. out. We hope you gained some inspiration that will help you run an efficient and effective association just like a business and maybe laugh a little with us. If you have a topic you would like to hear us talk about, or if you just want to reach out to us for any reason, you can contact us at Tom. At tommorson.biz or dave at propfuel.com.
0: Give us a review if you haven't already. And don't forget, subscribe and share with your friends.